0: Derek Freeman.
1: Hello. Mr. Freeman. How you doing, Mr. Freeman?
2: Doing all right, brother. Appreciate you coming on.
1: No problem, man. Thanks for having me.
2: Now, for everybody that's listening in, we have none other than Bernard Freeman, A.K.A. Bun B, my friend, my cousin, live in, inside the Free World Podcast with us. Bun, it sounds like you're on the road, man. Just, just let us know how much time you got. We gotta, we got some questions for you today.
1: No, no, we make it happen.
2: Well, first, everybody knows Bun. The the big thing that everybody knows about you, man, of course, is UGK. And since the beginning, you guys have read Port Arthur, Texas. So you know, not only Port Arthur, but you had spent time, a lot of time in in your childhood in Houston also. So you rep Houston real heavy, but tell us a little bit about that growing up in Port Arthur, where you're from and and the experiences in Port Arthur and
1: Houston. Well, um, as you know, um, your listeners, I'm not sure if they know or not, you know, Port Arthur is a very small um, industrial town in Southeast Texas. population of areas i guess between 50 and fifty-five thousand, depending on what time of the year you check <laughs> um built built around the oil refineries um you know put out there in beaumont um, both kind of sprouted up due to spindle top so um you know pretty much all the small towns in that area surrounding spindle top um all derrick uh pretty much facilitate life for the people who worked at the refineries and so it, it was it's a blessing and a curse because as a blessing, you know, it provided a lot of jobs and opportunities in the early days. But, you know, nowadays, if you don't have really a, um, even know, if you don't work for the refineries or for a company that facilitates the refineries, then, you know, finding good, sustainable work can be a bit difficult.
2: A lot of our eggs are in the same basket here. Definitely being, we're, we're tied to that that oil and gas, you know, here in Port Arthur. So, you know, someone with with as much talent as yourself, there's not many opportunities. So, you know, you had to look other places and, and thankful that, you know, you had connections in Houston and, and was comfortable moving around in a big city and, and making connections.
1: Yeah. Well, obviously I spent a lot of my early years in Houston going back and forth. Unfortunately, I was, I was born in Houston, but then my parents divorced. My mother moved to Port Arthur because a lot of her family um, that weren't in Louisiana or Houston were living in Port Arthur. And she just wanted to a breath of fresh air. And, you know, one of her aunts, uh, my grandmother's younger sisters um, was very close in age with my mom. My mom was the first born. And so they had a very strong relationship. And so my mom moved to Port Arthur because there was structure there for her. Um, but as I got older and started, you know, wanting to find my way in the world uh, specifically with entertainment, right? Port Arthur didn't afford me any of those opportunities. So you kind of had to go, to the big city to make your bones, so to speak. Um, but you know, I've had been a big part of the culture, music wise. So we kind of knew where to look to start trying to touch base with stuff. Um, but our connection kind of came on a fluke. We were actually in Houston shopping, and so we went to King's Flea Market on the South Side, okay. and uh, just so happened that there was a guy there named Russell Washington who had a record store, but was actually looking for talent at that time. So we drove back to Port Arthur from Houston and went got the demo tape and then brought it all the way back to Houston uh, to his store and let him hear a few songs. Um, he fell in love with the earliest in, uh, earliest uh, edit of Tell Me Something Good, which featured more than just me and Pimp, but by the time we ended up putting it out, it was only Pimp and I. And uh, from that point on, uh, I guess the rest is history. It?
2: Man, it, and history you've made, definitely. You know, let's take it real quick, take it back just a little bit. The, the way we met was was something unique, and I, I'll never forget it. I was a freshman in high school, and we had a class together, theater. And your last right. name was Freeman, and my last name was Freeman, and we got to talking one day. Or I think I told you that my dad was from Ville Platte, and you said you're from Vale Platte, and you said, well, my dad's from Vale Platte. And next thing you know, I think you went and checked, you know, some some of the lines, and I went and checked some of the family lines, and sure enough, we were kin. And from then on, man, I I just, I've already thought you were intelligent, one of the most intelligent people I've met. Even in my 44 years that I've been on this earth, man, I I hold you in such a high regard. But from that point on, man, I I watched you and and you've always been a a motivator, a trendsetter, and you've left breadcrumbs for somebody like myself that can follow if if you have ambition, if if you have drive. And I've always appreciated. One of the people that hit us on Facebook, you know, I put something out there earlier and was like, uh man I'm, I'm getting ready to go online with bun right now we're doing the free world podcast any questions we will take one questions and uh somebody that hit us up was big jack so you know big jack said "Hollered at you, man said what's up and uh, i was yeah. thinking about big jack being in the same class with us it was you big jack and i think nolan davis and you old cats were i just looked up to you guys so um jack said what's up man but that was the beginning days ugk so that was what did was Absolutely. russell with with big time or how did big time come about is that well what he again had? that
1: came from that initial day of going to the flea market you know mm-hmm. and we came to the agreement that you know we were we were open to working with them and you know we were very young in the industry we didn't really know anything as far as the music business and he didn't either like he came he came in from a retail aspect but he always had a really good ear for music and uh you know he he was the one that out of all the stuff that tell me something good was actually one of the older songs mm-hmm. that we had um in the catalog at that time so we brought him everything that we had and he listened to some of the newer stuff which would have been like cocaine in the back of the ride would have been part of that as well uh, but he was like, yeah, I
0: mean, this other
1: stuff is cool, but just tell me something good. He's like, that that's the hit. <laughs> you, you know, all- and <laughs> like I said, he had, he had an amazing ear, you know, yeah. he had an amazing ear for that kind of thing, man. Shout out to Big Jack. Me and Jack were, were down with each other. And Nolan, of course, Nolan was, you know, probably one of my closest friends, uh, in school. And the funny thing was with working with Nolan, like, um. Nolan and I both kind of woke up one day and was like, yo, let's go sign up for the Navy. <laughs> and, and so we went we went to the Navy, we went to the Naval office and signed everything, but we didn't take the oath. And then like a couple of weeks later, we were like, yo, uh, I don't think that's what we want to do. <laughs> you know <what> <laughs> uh, and they tried to, they tried to pigeonhole us into it and. You know, I, I tested very high. I tested like a 97. I so imagine. Yeah. For them, <laughs> yeah, so their their whole thing for me was like, yeah, we want to send you to college, um, and we also want to put you, like, basically on a nuclear submarine. Like, so we want to oh. send you to college to understand how to, you know, work in that field, like engineering situation, and then put you, like, on a nuclear submarine and then, even, look, I love the water, I love to swim and all of that, but just the idea of living <laughs> underwater Ooh. for a month at a time that was that was not what I was about. That was not what I wanted to do with yeah. my life, so we had so we realized that like the easiest way to get out of that um would have been to get scholarships, so that's when Nolan and I really started focusing heavily on drama and ended up getting our uh our little scholarships back then to San Jacinto. Yeah, and um, that kind of was the way of of getting them like off of our <laughs> off of our case at the time, and then after that we decided that that wasn't what we wanted to do. So,
0: yeah, we were
1: young kids, man. You know, we you know, thank God we had options in life. Yeah, um, we but we just didn't know what direction we wanted to go to at that point. And and at that point, I I really started to fall in love with the idea of of making music, right? So as much as I love theater. Um, I just realized that that wasn't necessarily a path I wanted to take. And it's funny because music kind of brought me back around to to that because being involved with hip-hop culture, I've actually been in a few feature films. I was in The Dirty Third. I was Uh in this movie called um, Video Girl, where I actually acted with uh, Megan Good, her sister Lamaya Good, and Ruby D. And uh, I actually had like a one-on-one scene with Ruby D. Like Ruby D. Basically beat me up in the movie, like sat me around. Wow! Uh, because I was the boyfriend to Lamia Good, and she ended up being killed um, while she was with me because I had beef with some dudes out there. And then Ruby was like, you know, very upset with me for getting getting the girl killed, and she kind of beat me up or whatever. And it was it was amazing because you know you grow up yeah um looking at you know ruby d is, yeah. is you know it's film that's film royalty yeah you know definitely and uh so so you know being a part of hip-hop culture has not only made like you know my new dreams come true but even facilitated some old dreams coming true you know <laughs> so i'm I'm a very very blessed individual man i have
2: to say man you're very blessed you're very talented you know it, it full circle you know i've always told you that that stage when we did the, we used to have a thing telling some of the folks, if you, you went to a, a drama festival, they had a, a thing called Group Impromptu, and, you know, I, I had the honor of, of being in the Group Impromptu with Bun a few times, he and I, Freeman and Freeman, and, and Bun, I never told you this, but man, I, I was a youngster still, though, but still, you used to amaze, Things thing you're supposed to do is walk in a room, they give you a piece of paper, go act this out, they give you a few minutes, and you're just supposed to freestyle, basically, in in the in the room. And man, some of the things that you used to say come out just the top of your head, and the the Jamaican accents, the the impersonations. You it, I, it was just it was amazing, man. So you know, I've I've always known you had the talent. I'm just waiting to see you more on that big screen for the rest of the world to see you do your thing. Again, it's there, brother, definitely. So um, also, I, talk to I, me.
1: I have I actually have not to cut you off. Yeah, I actually have an acting role coming up. A friend of mine. Uh, Was just given his um, his his uh, first TV show deal, so he's got something he's working on with. I want to say it's with Netflix. Okay. So he's got a television show based on his his growing up in um in Afghanistan and then uh, also in Houston, and so he asked me to play a character on that show. So you'll actually, and it's not just like a cameo role. I'm actually going to have. I'm I'll be in multi multiple episodes. So okay. um, you'll be able to see some more, some more acting. It should be, should be fun. I'm definitely playing something out of character. I don't want to give too much away, but it's definitely <laughs> not, definitely not the kind of character you would expect me to play. But, I and, but that's the beauty of him wanting to put me in that role because it's very easy to cast me as myself, Yeah. right? Like yeah. a character that's more conducive to who I am and what I represent. But he wanted to go against type to yeah. really show people my ability, you know? Yeah. And so, I'm, I'm I'm happy to have the opportunity, man. Probably man. be a part
0: of it. Yeah,
2: you're going to show that range and versatility, brother. People going to be amazed. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Um also big pimping, man. Now, they got a few th- I want to get a rumor question out of there at the end of it, but Talk to me about the Big pimping, and you know, of course, two of the biggest hits for 3-6, and Jay-Z, of course, is Big Pimpin', and you know, they're sipping on syrup, and they couldn't have done that without UGK. So, you know, talk to us about how that came about, and, and for me, for you guys, um, I, I remember being, I just moved to Los Angeles, and I remember watching, making the video, um, and you guys were on that beach, man, pimping right. the beach, like you said, just, we, we're here pimping the beach. Talk to me about that situation, because I think it opened up UGK to a whole different demographic in the listening audience.
1: Yeah, so, um, well, obviously tipping on Scissor is a lot more organic. Um, we had a very long-standing relationship with Paul and Juicy from 3-6 Mafia. And so, they, at one point, we were actually working on a super group uh, with Underground Kings and 3-6 Mafia called Underground Mafia. Wow. And so. And so Sippin' on Scissor is actually one of the songs from that uh, collective recording, right? Wow. And so
2: I never did that.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's crazy. And so we um we had done sippin' on scissor for their album and we did like a pimp for UTK's album. So that thing was a lot more organic. The, the idea of Big Temple was really more of Jay's idea. Okay. Of um, you know, Jay had been a fan for a while. Um, Clark Kent and introduced him to UGK sound and whatnot, okay. and so he was like, "I really like these guys." And he had made a call before to get uh, Pimp on a record. It was a song called "Just a Week Ago" that he had done with with Two Short that he was trying to get Pimp on, and that didn't necessarily work out. Okay, and and so he came back around uh, with the Big Pimpin' record, and you know, it wasn't anything remotely close to the kind of music that we did. So Pip was a, you know, he was a bit apprehensive about it because he knew Jay had a very different fan base that he did. And he was concerned about introducing himself to a fan base through that type of a song and having them, you know, think that that's maybe who we were and the kind of music that we made or whatever. But yeah. he eventually came around to being a part of it and it's you know, it's easily uh, one of the most recognized records that I've ever been a part of. Obviously, you know, we have a base that would probably connect with different records, you know, stuff off of Super Tight, Riding Dirty, and what have you. But as far as worldwide, because I've been blessed to travel like all over the world, I've been to at least maybe 40, 50 countries. Hip Hop has brought me all around the world. And um, no matter what country I've ever been in, even if I'm on vacation or somewhere and I'm in a foreign country, um, you go to a nightclub or a bar or something, at some point, that yeah. record's going to come on. Yep. Even if even if people don't know I'm necessarily in the club, that yeah. record's still going to come on. And so when I go to different countries, some of my catalog they may not be familiar with, but that's literally a song that I could perform anywhere on the planet and it'll immediately make a connection to the people in the room, you know. So, again, yeah. I've, I've been afforded some really, really great opportunities, D, like... Yeah. in my life and I don't I don't take any of that stuff for granted you know because you know this this could never you know this could have never panned out in the way it did and I could have just had you know a very moderate level of success but um we've been able to really affect people all around the world with the music that we made you know and I'm, I'm just honored to represent Port Arthur in that way you know taking PA worldwide
0: man
2: and it, we're we're honored to have you taking it worldwide brother I appreciate that we appreciate that I don't know if we say it enough as a city but thank you on behalf of the city for everything that you've done. We're quick rumor though, that's, this is, this is something that I don't know if it's just the streets talking about it, but with the big pimpin' song, they, it's been told, it's been said numerous times to me and I never asked you this, but they say that that fourth verse that Jay-Z put on there, that on the canopy, my stamina be. you know, that fourth verse was because you had killed the verse so bad on the second one that he couldn't just let you do him like that on that song.
1: That's a big misconception. That, that's the story, I'm not really. Sh- I'm not really sure where that story originated from. I get it, you know. And I, yeah. I appreciate it as a gesture, but the reality was was more business based. Okay. Um, up until that point, um, because of the fact that we had two verses on the record, and I had also written the verse from a publishing standpoint, we actually owned more of the record than he did.
2: Percentage, yes. Okay.
1: Yeah, and so by adding that last verse, that that gave him more of an, uh, an ownership of that particular record than he did. He's very business savvy. It's, obviously, you can tell with the different investments and different companies and yeah. the way he's been able to build build his um, his businesses up, right? And yeah. capitalize you know, tremendously off of his efforts. That's really what it was. And, you know, Jay's one of those guys that I will say, like, I mean, that that's not a big deal yeah. for him, right? Okay. That wasn't that wasn't necessarily a deal breaker for him in terms of me rapping better than him on the record. I don't think he really thought of it like that. I don't think he thinks of it like that as well. Because you have to understand, this was a party record. So it wasn't like he was operating at a high level from uh, a musical standpoint. Like It was a very fun record. I was the one who was taking it much more seriously in terms of okay I'm on a record with Jay-Z. have got to perform at my highest level right now yeah he was he was just you know he was assuming that we were going to approach it from a very you know lackadaisical party playful kind of mood uh-huh. and i was i was thinking totally different right because i'm i <laughs> was very
2: teared up <laughs> I, I'm not,
1: yeah I, i'm i don't consider myself just a rapper i consider myself a lyricist and I, yeah i feel like a big part of my appeal to people is my lyrical ability that's kind of the Uh, the hill that I'm trying to die on, so to speak, you know, and that's what people look for. You know, that's what people look for from me. And so it didn't matter who I was on the record with. That's what I was trying to do. Yeah. Like I was trying to be the best rapper in the moment as possible,
2: man. Well, I'll tell you this, by the time you you did your thing and then then Pimp came on and, and put that, his flavor on it, man, that, that, that is a classic. That's a, that's a classic for a time to come. That's whenever you talk about hip hop classics is definitely up there. So man, I, I appreciate you doing it for the culture, big pimping down in P A T just for folks that don't know who's listening to this podcast. That always meant Port Arthur, Texas. Can I get a clarification on that?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> a lot of times, especially, especially in the early, especially in the early years, right. For being a, a part of hip hop, whenever we would say, PA people from the Midwest and the East coast, yeah what it's doing, we were talking about Pennsylvania.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> and, and so, you know, in our early years, we we always were trying to clarify that for people. Be like, no, no, that's not the PA we're talking about. We're talking about Port Arthur. Yeah,
2: it's yeah. a small town, not a state. We, we, we're doing it
1: big. Everything's bigger yeah, in Texas. Yeah, and, and of course, and then as the time went by, you know, I people started to understand what it was because we screened Port Arthur and pretty much everything we did. Yeah. And at this point, UGK and the city of Port Arthur are synonymous with each other,
0: you know, they are,
2: you definitely have branded it, man. And now talk to me about the evolution of bun, you know, that the hip hop, like you said, afforded you several opportunities, you know, it, it's, it's provided a beautiful life and just to be a blessing to other folks. But the one thing that, that I've also admired about you is you've been able to evolve you know a lot of folks get stuck in one place or you know get inhibited by just who their brand is or who they think people want them to be but you've always transcended man just the times to, through just life being true and just like folks just heard man with, with you talking about the verse of jay-z you, you stayed humble with it and told the truth and that's genuine so talk, talk to us about how the how you transition if there's some young rappers out there that's listening or some guys that's been in the game or anything in life how, how do you maintain you know the position and the ambition to get up every day and, and do what you do
1: well the reality was I learned very early on because I'm, I'm I'm not just a participant in the culture I'm also a student right yeah. I spent a lot of time you know looking at the culture and watching how different people affect the culture and, and how they operate within and outside of the culture and so I learned very on that if, if this was all I wanted it to be was just the, the music-making side of it, then that was cool, right? And I could make a decent living yeah. just doing that. But I, I paid attention to the people who were actually becoming rich, right? Yeah. And eventually in the cases, and eventually they became wealthy, right? Yeah. And so a lot of them used um, the music as a stepping stone. Right. And so they looked at it from an angle that if I'm successful in this business, I could potentially be successful in any business. As long as I put the same effort I put into making this music and building that brand into anything else I do, then I could potentially build other brands as well. So I came up in the age where rappers not only made music, but they had their own record companies. Uh, They signed other artists. Uh, A lot of them, you know, look at Russell Simmons, Puffy, Jay-Z, um, Nelly, people started a lot of clothing brands, people started liquor companies, right? Yeah. All these different opportunities to maximize their economic potential, right? Yeah. And not limiting themselves to just the the music side of it as far as being able to capitalize. And so I, I looked at that as like, you know what? I'm gonna make sure that whatever opportunities become available to me from being a musician and being an artist, I'm gonna try to take advantage of as many of those that seem possible or potentially, um, you know, successful to me. Yeah. And so because of that, you know, I've able to been able to divest into different industries, you know, things like real estate, uh, you know, different food stuff, you know, just yeah. there's been different opportunities afforded to me from that. And so I don't, you know, a lot of people feel like when they sign that record deal and they put that record out that they have made it. And in a sense, you have made it, But that doesn't mean that you can't continue to level up. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And if you have the acumen to operate in that space and be successful in that space, why limit yourself to just that? You know, take a chance, throw some things up against the wall. And believe me, I've tried some things that didn't work out, you know, but I never gave up trying to take advantage because I had examples from the culture to show me that, you know, you can take your, you know, because, Becoming an artist and becoming successful in in, in hip hop music is branding, right? right? You're, yeah. you're 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 selling a brand yeah. to people, and so once you have an understanding of your base, um, what they're receptive to, the kind of things that they're willing to spend their money on, or whatever, and the trust level, it's really about the trust factor as well, right? Yes. Um, exactly. If people trust you to buy your music and listen to what you say and kind of build their lifestyles around advice or different information that you give to them then you can use that in other ways, right? You can tell you know, you tell people, look, man, I've tasted a lot of vodka. You know me, I've party all over the place. I've tasted a lot of vodkas. This is the best vodka I've ever tasted. Yeah. People will trust you yeah. with that. You know? Um I wear a lot of clothes. You see me, I shop all the time. I worn all the illness brands. This is the fly clothing line to me right now. People will trust you on that. Yeah. So you just got to be you have to be smart. You have to be willing, right? Yes. That's the other thing, too. Like, you have to want to be successful in other things. People aren't just going to have it to you, and they're just not going to assume. You have to put that same level of work ethic into every other industry that you want to take advantage of and find a place in that you did with the music industry. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. And, uh, we've And we've been very successful about that stuff. And then there's, there's a lot of different opportunities that aren't necessarily financial opportunities, but em- opportunities... To impact the world that we live in, right? Yeah. Uh, because of that, so that's where the Rice University situation comes in. With me teaching classes at Rice University, is the fact that you know, because I, I was always like, "Look, I didn't even go to college. How can I teach at a university?" And the professor, Dr. Anthony Penn, that I co-taught the class in, was like, "Look, um, you could go to any university in America. You could go to Harvard, Yale, uh, you know, any any of these major universities or wherever in this country." But none of them can teach you what you've learned from real world experience, yep, exactly you know what I'm saying so, yeah. so your so your reference point and the information that you have, it's not something that you could go somewhere and get accredited for anyway. you know, <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's no study uh, abroad. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, so once he said that i was I was a little less tense about it because I was very concerned, you know, I, I didn't necessarily come from um the world of academia. You know, so I wasn't really sure if, um, you know, if I was supposed to be there, how was I supposed to teach his class? I didn't come from that. You know, I I never took a college course, so I wasn't sure, like, how am I supposed to teach a college course? You know, but he had a lot of faith in me. I met with the proctor, I met with the president at Rice University, and, um, they were willing to take a chance on me because obviously I'm not a a normal hire, right? (laughs) right? And, um. Um, but everybody took a chance on me, and I and I didn't want to mess it up because Dr. Penn is um, the most tenured professor of color at Rice University. Wow! So I didn't want to mess up. I didn't want to mess up his his tenure. I didn't want to mess up his reputation, or whatever. But uh, we ended up being a real good fit. Um, the class ended up being a real big success. I still talk to students of mine today. They're grown. Uh, you know, they're they're out in the world making their both. And keep in mind, you know, my class wasn't necessarily. people who wanted to rap. Now every year we would maybe get a student, one or two students who, you know, was looking for potentially a career in music. Mm -hmm. But it was really just about it's really just about a frame of reference for people who wanted to know more about the culture from a historical context, right? So you took my course at Rice University, I wasn't just playing the top eight at eight. You know what I'm saying? Like Like we're taking this same you know we're taking music in America back to its original historical historical reference points we're taking religious practices in America because my course is on hip hop and religion, and it's a humanities course it's not a music course yeah. right um, so it's, it's designed for people looking for a degree in humanities um, and so we, we're putting things in their historical perspective and in proper context, and then working our way up eventually to modern times to show the parallel paths that religion and, and music take mm-hmm. uh, in this world as well as different moments of intersection. And wow. I think we did a really good job. You know, I, I'm not, I know he did. I think I did. Okay. You know? <laughs> um, My students tell me they all enjoyed the class. I still communicate with, with several of them regularly. I see them in the city and some of them have different things. They moved on to other cities like Seattle, New York, Los Angeles, Chicago. They're all over the country. They're all impacting the world in a positive way and i'm proud to be a part of that
2: man that's that's awesome i mean that's something another thing that you know the city we're proud of you for definitely being a, just saying and having the courage and encouraging other folks to step out their own faith you know because somebody else believed in you and then the one thing that I, I wanted to point out too so folks didn't miss that is that you you had people believing in you so you didn't want to let them down you know that it, it's a lot of times we miss that that you know, man looks somebody put said a good word for you to have you here. Don't don't let don't mess that person's good word up so they can do it for the next man. So I, I appreciate you recognizing that on, on behalf of Professor Penn. You know, so hopefully some folks, you know, when when you get uh, somebody does a handout for you or brings you in the room that you know you you, you recognize that this person is taking a risk on you. So. Thank you for that. Appreciate you know just dropping that jewel on them too. Then also family life, man. Talk to me about the family life. You know what? How we live? Is it G Paul now? What's going on?
1: Yeah, yeah. I got. I uh, just had my sixth grandchild uh, a couple of weeks ago. Ooh! Uh, congratulations! Yeah, which is thank you. Which is amazing. You know what I'm saying? Um, You know, two kids, six grandkids. Um, It's a blessing. It's it's absolutely a blessing to be able to to, you know, be a proud parent, be a proud grandparent, but also be active, right? Because it's easy to just say you're a parent, right? But it's very important um, about the level of activity you have with your children and the kind of things you try to impart on them and impress upon them. And I feel like I've done a great job, you know what I'm saying? I feel like, you know, not to pat myself on the shoulder, (laughs) but I look at the lives that my children live now, they're, they're productive members of society, You know, um, they have their own families that they're raising now. And, um, you know, we have a beautiful relationship, you know, we, you know, we didn't take any mess. We kept shit real, you know, there were, and there were things that I had to make my children aware of very early in their life in terms of my job and the thing that I did and how to, you know, make sure that they're moving a certain way in this world and specifically with the relationships that they decided to have, you know, like, that was one thing I had to tell my son very early on. It's like, yo, look, you got to be careful. Like, like you're you're a nice looking boy. Like my son, he's a handsome young man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, I'm not gonna den- I'm not gonna deny that. And I'm sure you know he's not gonna have problems getting women. But he's had to be careful about women wanting to be with him solely because of who his father is, and wanting to take advantage of the opportun- potential opportunities as yeah. far as that was concerned. Um, but he made smart decisions. You know, what I'm saying as a young man, you know, he he wasn't perfect or whatever. But hey, man, he's not in prison right now. You know, yeah. he's got a good job. Yeah, he's married. He's taking care of all of his children. So that's, that's pretty much all I can hope for. You yeah. know,
2: that definitely. That's man, all I can hope for. As and I appreciate you always saying the family thing. You know, a lot of times in the industry, they 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 ask folks to to push the family to the side. You know, and and. I, I've never known you to do that, man. It's, it's always been Queenie. It's always been family. It, it's, it's just how you rolled. So you know, that's it's it's another thing I think that that's given you that longevity in the game is because you're genuine. You know, people understand that that you're just telling the truth, man. This is just me, like it or love it. This is Bun B. So thank
1: you for man, that. Look, I'm, I'm not I'm I'm not the perfect husband. But my wife will tell you I can be very temperamental. Um, I'm all, that's for I'll, a later I'll, show. I'll, I'll <laughs> I've always I've always acted older than I am, so my mm-hmm. wife would be like, "You're just a you just a grouchy ass old man." Sometimes she's like you, you know, she's like, look, don't complain about all the, everything all the time." She's like, "You you like you you're a, you act like a old ass grandpa." I'm like, "Well, I, I'm not I'm not a old grandpa, but I am a grandpa, and yeah. I have different concerns, and I have different things that I'm worried about." But yeah. you know, family was always important. It was always vital to me. I learned a lot from my wife, you know what I'm saying? Um, Queenie, is, is, Queenie has a very distinct worldview and a very distinct way of looking at things. Hmm. And so she's she's been a big part of, of everything in my life. And I never felt the need to hide like finances and business because God forbid if something happens to me that my wife doesn't understand the value of the brand that I've helped create, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, if there's music left over, I want her to understand how music business works and what she should be looking to ask for and not necessarily just take from different people, so it was always important for me to share everything with yeah. my wife, you know what I'm saying, as far as this life, and I always travel with her, and my wife pretty much goes to every show with me, unless there's something she decides she doesn't want to, but it's it's never a, a point of contention in terms of whether or not she's going to go somewhere. It's It's entirely her decision, right? I'm not gonna yeah. deny her any aspect of my life in terms of involvement, uh whether it be business or uh, uh, personal you yeah. know and that's that's worked for us, yeah, I think it's worked out very very well for us folks
2: coming up in the industry, man, yeah, I hope you guys are out there taking notes because it's it,
1: and, and, dropping and, some jewels look, i met my I met my wife when i was' let me see i'm forty seven now so I met my wife when I was twenty three you know, okay, and I wasn't necessarily as mature then as I am now, but I was very infatuated with my wife. I really really liked her. I really liked her world view about things. And so I was and my was, was and still is, very attractive. So I was proud to take my woman around. You know you what I'm saying? Already. I didn't have any hindrance. <laughs> I didn't have any hindrance, you know? Yes, and sir. once I decided that's who I wanted to be with, that's where I put my attention to. Now, when I, I started at 18, so I had four or five years of debauchery. I was out there wild, <laughs> getting into it at a younger age, but once I found a woman and I realized she was mature and she was not going to put up with um, a young man's lifestyle, like if I was going to be with her, I would have to dedicate myself to her and take her opinions and outlook on life into consideration, I was like, I'm fine with that. I'm willing to trade that off for this woman. Cause this is- yeah. This woman is fine. This woman looks good. This, this is who I want to be with. There you go. You know?
2: There you go, man. That's it. It's okay to love. It's okay to
1: love, man. That's a. It's, this ain't nothing wrong with that. You got somebody good in your corner, man. Dedicate yourself. Lock that down. Lock, lock it lock down. I <laughs> like that, man.
2: It's, you know, as a matter of fact, since you said to G. paw and the, the transition of it, we in the last podcast, just as we were telling folks that you know that you were going to be on this one, favorite song, Woodwheel high life between you is in between those two but i love it when you say i'm a conservative liberal left wing swing and right wing hanging for me you know it's when you're young you know where you're, you're liberal oh man the world is you know is is you crazy we're out there living wild but as you get older you get become more conservative the more kids you have when you become a grandparent for me and and it, when you said that conservative liberal it said it perfect for me because i Um, i'm a liberal you could you could do whatever you want to do enjoy yourself whatever but when it comes to my family and my kids i gotta be conservative that's that's just who i am so talk to me about that line man is it the the conservative liberal because it it goes right in place with what you just mentioned a minute ago as being a g paul
1: well yeah i mean for me i've always been like a a financial um um conservative you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. like i want the best opportunities for me because i'm in a I'm in that tax bracket that allows me to take advantage of certain tax incentives. Right. So it's always yeah. important for me to keep my keep my, my my focus on all those type of things and that usually lends itself to a conservative outview on life, right? Yeah. I and mean, then we're also we're also practicing Christians, so a lot of Christian values that we believe in lend themselves somewhat to conservative. But lifestyle, right? I'm I'm full on liberal, right? Oh, I believe anybody <laughs> I believe people should People yeah. should be able to live the life they want to live. They should be able to love the person they want to love. They yep. should be able to marry the person yep. that they want to marry. They should be able to have the choice of doing with their body what they what they feel they want to do with their body, yeah. right? I'm, yeah. I support all of that, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's, and, and, so, and I've always been concerned when someone tells me that they're purely this or that. I don't think anyone... is purely one side right i think they're either lying to me or lying to themselves you know what i'm saying i think i think there may be a set of values attributed to a certain um party or leaning a certain way that they that may be the way that they want to present themselves to the world but you can't tell me that every decision that you make in your life falls along those lines like you have to have flexibility in this world yes and you have to allow yourself to have flexibility in this world and so you never want to be the guy that pigeonholes himself into a certain thing because life will hold you to that you know what i'm saying the world will hold you to that and you'll find yourself in a very compromising position if you keep saying that you're conservative 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 and then this liberal outlook on life is something that not only potentially benefits you, but benefits the people you love, right? So you got to be very careful not to contradict yourself in this world and not be willing to take other people's viewpoints and outlooks on life into consideration.
2: Man, you said it perfectly. And I agree totally with you on that. It's, it's allow people some flexibility and it's okay to be both you know, you, you have some yeah, conservative, you can have, so. exactly. It's, it's that's why I made up tell you conservatively, you don't, you don't even know how much that think worn words a little, uh, they have a shirt that says conservative liberal I got from just because of the Woodwills song. So I'm gonna send you one, make sure they get you one over there. But man, that's, that lends into the next question. You know, that's at your activism. You know, you've been doing before, you know, I've seen you at election rallies. I've seen you out at, on the streets, picketing. I mean, I've seen, I've seen you do, I've seen you do some things, man, boycotting you, 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 your front lines. So talk to me about the activism and you know, everything that, that, that you've been doing even with the George Floyd, just however you want to speak to the people, man, talk to us about your activism, where your heart is right now.
1: Well, I think this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about the trust that I have with people. Right. Yeah. Um, people trust me to lead them in the right way, right? To not give them misinformation or disinformation, right? Yeah. Um, and because of that, you know, when there are things that are happening to the people that support me, right, I always want to make sure that they see me actively standing in the gap for them, right? Yeah. So I have a lot of people, you know, the majority of the people that have supported me and helped me, and the man I am today are people that live in the inner cities of America. Yeah. Right? So when we look at the conditions of the people in the inner cities of America, we want to make sure one, that we have a level of awareness. Mm-hmm. Two, if we have any power to lend that power to help better in their cause. And three, using our platform to elevate that cause and lift those yeah. voices up. Yeah. You know? And so and so for me, activism is it's a privilege, right? Yeah. Like for me. Like it's I've been affording a certain Level in life to where my voice carries, right? My opinions carry, and my impact carries. And so, because of that, because of that privilege, I have to make sure that I'm using it in the right way. Yeah, being famous can get you a good table at a restaurant, right? It can help you cut the cut the line when you're going into a (laughs) concert or something like that, right? Yeah, you know, it. I can I can possibly get somebody to. You know, I get access to the, you know, the new Jordans and stuff when that kind of stuff comes out. Right. There's a lot of different things that are afforded to me because of who I am in this world and how I'm seen in this world. But it can't just be about that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like my life can't just be about being a part of things that solely benefit me. Right. Because there are people who who help me get to where I'm at. So I'm not going to turn my back on those people. I'm not going to. Um, hinder my platform from helping to uplift their causes and their voices. And I'm not going to stand silently when I know that my voice can help affect change and help make things better for yeah. people. Yeah. So, so activism for me, it, it's a privilege. I am honored to uh-huh. be able to use my voice and my platform to help better people's lives out here, because these people have helped me better my life. I live in a good, nice house. I drive a nice car. I've been able to afford my children. And my grandchildren, a, a, a level of comfort that you know, coming from where we come from, and yeah. growing up, the children of working class people. You know, we live a life that our parents. This is what they. This is what they fought for. This is what they yeah. worked for. This is what they sacrificed for, so that you know we could become the men that we've become, Derek. Yeah. And so we don't take that for granted. And then we also want to be a good example, right? I can tell my children and grandchildren what they need to do, but it it, it impacts differently when they see me doing it. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Telling my children telling my children that Black Lives Matter is one thing. But going out marching, protesting and standing up for the fact that Black Lives Matter, as the as the young people say, that shit just hit different. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And and so yeah. my, my my grandchildren are now in a position to where they understand that I'm different yeah. from other kids' parents and that kind of stuff, right? They they get to go to Rockets games and Texans games. And they get to sit in suites and they meet, you know, like, you know, I've been able to take my wife to, to dinner with, you know, President Obama and all these different yeah. things. And so they see that there's a level of, of access and a level of privilege and influence that I've been afforded. But then, like, even with my oldest grandchild, when we put together the rally, and protest march for Joyce Ford in Houston, I took her with me because she's huh. old enough to understand yeah. the conditions for people of color in this country. But because of the of of the life that I've been afforded, my granddaughter went to a private school, even though it was an all black private school for many years. And now she's in high school with a mixed mixed classroom. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So for me, you know, this is really her first time being around people that don't look like her. Yeah. Right, and she also does tears, so there's a different, um, obviously a different group of people that's around in that. Yeah. And so I want her to right, so I want her to be cognizant of the world that she lives in. Right, yeah. I want her to understand that she's she's important to this world, and that she should always feel welcome. Right, and whenever she doesn't feel welcome, she she should understand the extenuating circumstances as to why people would not want her to feel welcome. Yeah. It's not right? her. or why people yeah. may right, or why people may choose to treat her different. Right, yeah. so she has to have a level of understanding about these things as she grows older and she starts to mix and mingle with people who don't necessarily look like her. You know, yeah. yeah. And so, and so, and children are smarter sometimes than we give them credit for. They have a a, a very strong level of understanding. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you're willing to sit down and have those conversations with them. You'd very you'd be very surprised at the how much of that they could absorb, consume, and actually make sense of in their young minds, you know? Yeah. And I don't ever want them to feel like there was something that they could have known or should have known. And I hid them from them simply because it was a difficult conversation. Yeah. Because these conversations are not they're not easy to have. No. I remember when my mother used to have them with me. When I was younger, about how to act if the police pull you over right um, my parents are you know as you know, our family is from small towns in Louisiana, and so they were very adamant about how to act like you know don't don't bother these white people right yeah. don't don't make these yeah. white people mad, right yeah. because the consequences the consequences for those type of actions in the generation that they grew up in were very dire yeah right yeah and and they knew that a lot of times if you had a confrontation with uh, a white person that went wrong, you would not be afforded the benefit of a doubt,
0: no right? No so you
1: had to be very careful about how you moved in this world. And we've progressed somewhat in this country, you yeah. know, interracial marriages and things that were very, very taboo back in the day are a lot easier for people to deal with and just make peace with. Yeah. Um, and yes, it is a different world. There has been progression. We live in the suburbs. Um, you know, we get to fly first class. And there's these little small things that we've been able to do but as a whole um as a race of people there's still much more to be desired right and there's still much more that that needs to be fought for in this world because nothing worth having doesn't come with a fight yes right civil rights no one's ever given anything to anyone um that they deserve like you have to fight for those things so civil rights it's not to. Yeah, they 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 were never going to give us civil rights. We had to fight for that. They were never going to give us equality, economic op- opportunities. They're not going to give us any of these things. We have to fight for that stuff.
0: Yeah, and,
1: and so I'm willing to fight the good fight, and I want my children and grandchildren to not only hear and understand about these things for me, but I think it's important for them to see me in action. Yeah,
2: you know. Man, well, you're definitely leading by example. And and like I said earlier, too, you're, you're leaving breadcrumbs for other folks. Hopefully they can pick up that trail and, and follow along and do some of the same activities, some of the same work that you're doing, because you are on the front lines, man. It's just, some folks are um, keyboard activists. Some people, you know, they, they, they social media it up. But but you, my friend, have been on the front lines, and you're not afraid to, to speak up. And when you speak, you speak, again, with, with great intelligence, man. So... Uh, I, I appreciate that. the The city appreciates that. Texas, the nation, it, all the kids in the urban city, man. Everybody that's listening to UGK, the fans, we appreciate you doing that because you, you're standing up for all of us. So thank you for
1: that. No, no problem, man. I, like I said, it's 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 my duty. You know, it's it's a privilege to help my people. They it truly is because everyone doesn't get the platform that I'm afforded. Everyone's voice doesn't necessarily get to resonate as deeply, and so I'm happy to use it for that cause. You know.
2: Voter turnout, man. Talk to me. We got something coming up in November 3rd. You know, you've been you've been on that also about trying to get folks, you know, get the voter turnout right and get people in the booth. Um, Talk to me about that. You got something cooking up right now trying to get folks motivated to vote.
1: Yeah. So we just did a um, I was able to to work with um, an initiative known as Project Orange that, you know, makes people who are in jail aware of their voter rights. So, if you're in jail right now, right, and you're serving time for a misdemeanor, um, you know, if you're on pretrial or whatever, and you haven't been necessarily convicted of a felony, but you're still, like, in, in the county waiting to figure that stuff out, you still have your voter rights, Yeah. right? Um, in terms of the state of Texas, if you have done all your time, like even if you were, you know, committed a felony, but you've, you know, you've done your, your state time, and you're not on paper anymore for whatever reason, your rights are reinstated, right? So there's a lot of misconceptions about people who are in jail or people who've been committed uh, certain levels of crimes in this country uh, about what their rights are. And so we've been working adamantly to make sure that everybody that has a voice um, uses it, you know? And obviously we'll do the normal voter initiatives um, you know, we throw events and kind of co op with people there. So if you come to different events that I'm a part of, there there will be voter registration available and that. But I, I think right now more than ever, people have an awareness of what being involved and not being involved kind of gets you. Yeah. Because everyone, yeah. everyone I know, the, uh, the, everyone I know in my world for the for the most part uh, have concerns about the current administration. Yeah. Right. But I talk to a lot of them and. I asked them, well, who did you vote for in 2016, <laughs> yep. right? And then, yep. then they start making these excuses about why they didn't vote and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yep. And,
1: you know, it wasn't, you know, it, it it it's just not something that we can afford to sit on the sidelines for anymore, right? No. And there's a certain level of accountability that we all have to have. And usually within these arguments, I can dispel any of these excuses that people have for not wanting to vote or not feeling, you know, there's a need for them to vote and how much weight their voice carries or whatever. And they'd be willing to talk about the electoral college and, well, the popular vote doesn't matter. The electoral vote matters. I'm like, yeah, maybe on a national scale, yeah. but what about locally? Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. You know, what about locally? You you have friends of like, you know, I'm sure, you know, you, you there's friends that you have that live a certain lifestyle and, you know, something happen, they'll catch your case. And people would be like, Oh well, man, well, who's your judge? What courtroom are you yep. in? And they'll say the judge's name. And people are, Oh man, that boy be hanging people. He's gonna give you all the time, you know. <laughs> well a lot, you know, no, well, well, lot are, you know a lot of these judges are a lot of these judges are elected.
0: Elected you know? officials, they're exactly. Elect,
1: they're elected officials. So if you're tired of one particular judge throwing the book at everybody that you know that has to go stand in front of him, yep. put a judge in that makes sense. If you're tired of a district attorney Right. That's that's prosecuting people at a high rate, you know, elect a better one. One that has a frame of a frame of reference for the community that you come from, um, the life that that's been afforded to you and, you know, the circumstances that you had to endure. Right. All of this stuff is, is is available for you to change if you don't like the conditions of the district that you live in. Yep. Who's your city councilman? Who's your alderman? Yep. Who are the people that are in control of resources being allocated to your community? If they're not doing enough of a good job or if they're not allocating um, in your neighborhood or your street in the way that they should, vote they ass out. You know, you have <laughs> more. You and and local, local politics affects us on a daily basis much more than who our president is. Yep. Right, this determines if the potholes in your street are filled,
0: yep.
1: right? You know, if there's enough signs for children that play in your neighborhood, you know, the, the level of education that your children receive, a lot of these decisions that affect your everyday life for you, your children, your parents, grandparents, everyone that you love, these things are being handled p- predominantly at the local level. Yes. So even if you don't, even if you feel like the presidential election or senatorial elections or our representative elections, don't affect you. If nothing else, get involved locally.
2: Involved locally, man. I can't say that enough. That's all politics is local. That's 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 what they say, and that's a, a slogan going that's around. That's where
0: it starts. All and, of
1: it. And a lot of these people who eventually run for these these higher offices start locally. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want a person, if you want better choices for state rep or state senators or national senators, then elect people to city council. Elect them to comptroller. Right. Yeah. Elect them to judge positions. And then as they, as they grow and their notoriety becomes wider and, they, and they've had these opportunities to affect change in the community, their political stock rises. Yep. And that's how you get someone to become a good national candidate.
2: Yep. But
1: it's a process.
2: Y- yes, it is. And you have
1: to be involved with the process. You you can't just worry about voting every four years. There's a lot of different local elections, all different propositions, as you know. funding for different things come up through local elections you know and 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 you can't just sit around and complain about this stuff when you have an opportunity to work to affect change and and talk to the people around you you know once you inform yourself and once you decide to become engaged talk to the people around you talk to your immediate circle make sure they know the information that you know right because some people probably just don't know right yeah you know we're not taught civics in school anymore Right. So yes. the introduction to the electoral process is different for, for this newer generation than it was for our generation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, and so if you don't know, that's one thing, but if you've been informed and you refuse to engage, that's your own fault. Yes, it is. That's on you.
2: Educate yourself. This, Educate yourself and educate an uninformed voter is almost worse than somebody that doesn't vote. So we want to make sure that you educate yourself to get out there and, in and, and vote on the local level when when the district attorney like he said when the the city council when when you want your potholes fixed when you want to make sure that uh, somebody gets a fair trial these folks are elected by their peers so get out there vote be engaged and make sure you make a difference every vote counts every vote counts i've seen people lose by one vote people win with one vote so get out there and vote make sure that that, that your voice is heard um, last thing too before we get out of here man I, I want to talk just tell you thank you again for Harvey. you know we've we got to put that on our outline but you know when when Harvey hit it was a devastating thing for the city of Port Arthur for Houston, all the area um, but but your heart was was pulled to Port Arthur you know you, you came home um, at the time I was the mayor we were going through all kind of things is it, it, the city was was devastated. But you called and said, "Derek, I'm on the way, man. How how can I get in? All the the roads were were blocked in because of the rain and the flooding. Uh, but but you were asking for a way to get in, and you made it in. Not only did you make it in, man, but you brought people with you. You brought resources. So, uh, talk to us about that and in your experience and and what you did during that time.
1: Well, you know, obviously this this speaks to what I said earlier about the privilege, right? The fact that um i'm afforded relationships with different people there is a select set of resources that are available to me right and and harvey unfortunately created not just a perfect storm in terms of weather but also the perfect storm of me being able to put my connections and my resources together to help affect real change right so um i i partnered with trader truth and dj mr rogers who have an organization called release game, right? And that's their thing. It's about trying to meet every and any need of the community. And so Harvey is really like the beginning stages of that organization, right? They saw that, you know, entire communities were underwater. People were flooded in. They couldn't get out. They couldn't get um, the things that they needed to take care of their families until the water settled, which took a lot more time than any of us could have realized. And so you know, every day we would wake up and we would see what do we have, what can we accrue, um who can we bring together, and let's get out here and help people yeah you know and and that's and that's what we did, you know, and it wasn't easy, it was tiresome, it was cumbersome. it was a lot to do it, but it was necessary, yeah, and you know it was very obvious that if we didn't do it for communities of color, no one would yeah. you know um there was only so far that um National Guard could, could go there was only so much that the Red Cross was willing to do yeah. and unfortunately our communities are usually last in line for those you know respective resources yeah so for 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 people that we knew like we knew they weren't going to the projects right yeah. we knew they weren't going to where to to, to pour, um you know poor income housing for black people for brown people and the elderly right and yeah. so we made it our mission to serve those people in the best way possible. And we were very lucky that, you know, the cities that we went to, whether it be Beaumont, whether it be Port Arthur, all these different small surrounding towns, that local government um, allowed us to create these opportunities. And you know, I reached out to you. I was able to make contact with the superintendent. We were able to open up the cafeteria over at TJ. Um, and, you know, which is where a lot of people were housed at. We were yeah. able to provide meals. for for people it also gave us um, a place to set up a chain of command right yeah kind of like a local headquarters for us to be able to you know have a point where people who could get out of the communities could come and be like hey look i just came from from over here i just came from Prince hall i just came from Lewis manor i just came from this place man and they hurting over there right they need this they need that and we we would be able to take those resources to directly to those people you know and we would we would literally we we would we would come in, we would get up in the morning in Houston. We would load up stuff. We would bring it down to Port Arthur. We would take it to, you know, Port Arthur, Groves, Neatling, Beaumont, in certain instances, you know, uh, Orange. Anywhere that we were getting word that people needed help, we would go. You know what I'm saying? And and, and like I said, it was a tiresome thing. It was very cumbersome. But it was so rewarding to be able to look back and realize that we helped people. Because we could tell, like on day three, day four, like, if nobody's made it there yet, maybe nobody's coming, and maybe by the time they come, yeah. it could be too late for some for some people. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and and so we just we just you know, like I said, I'm a practicing Christian. There's no way I'm going to turn my back on my fellow man, especially if I know I can't. And my wife was very adamant, you know, because we when it initially came, we had made our way to Dallas and we made sure that we were safe. But then you start seeing these different images and videos on TV. And she was like, yo, we can't just sit here and not help people. And I was like, I agree. i like, well, we're going to have to fight to go back home. We're not going to be able to go straight home. We're going to have to find, first find a way to get home. Yeah. And then we're going to have to find a way, find, um, you know, find out how to communicate with these communities. Luckily, there was already a chain of command in place for certain people. My guy GT, who's the DJ here in Houston, he was connected with um, U.S. Navy. Uh, as well as the Cajun Navy and like I said, say trade the truth and b j mr rogers uh, not only had their own respective resources but then also um let people know that if they wanted to the same money or 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 uh, resources to help these people that they were um they would be a point of reference yeah. for that stuff.
2: Yeah, and you know this. What one thing for for the listeners? I want to clarify, man. You, you say that we, you you talked to me, you talked to the superintendent, and, and opened up the 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 lunch room, the cafeteria. But what really happened is the the cafeteria got commandeered. <laughs> That's what happened. It was like, <laughs> it was like you know they they because somebody called me. You know what you said, Derek. I'm I'm headed to the to the school see what's happening. Somebody called me later on. It was like, man, what's going on? We got bun in here. They they, they opened the doors up and kicked the door in or cut the off or whatever you did is, is it okay well, we talk, no,
1: no, no I'll be very I'll be very honest about it D. I made a call okay to the superintendent and I told him that the the, the, the conditions because when we got to TJ we first went to Woodrow
0: right okay. to Wilson okay
1: and a lot of the people have been moved already right and that's so why I asked where did they move it to and they said they're at TJ when we got to TJ the people were in the gyms um in both of the gyms um but the gyms unfortunately only had one men's room and one ladies' room. And because of the, the amount of people that were using them on a daily basis, they were running over yeah. consistently. Yeah. Right. And, and the other thing was we brought a lot of, we brought a lot of materials and resources there, but it's, particularly with the food, a lot of it was perishable. So we needed refrigeration
0: Yeah,
1: and there was none available in there. So I'm like, well, this extra bathroom was right there in the in the cafeteria there's a full you know industrial kitchen available in there and on top of that some of the women who actually work the kitchen the uh, cafeteria we're there also and TJ were at the shelter
0: yeah right yeah
1: and so the, I called the superintendent I'm like look we have resources we're here to help people we're willing to, to be here in this place so you got two options. You can either come down here. You can come down here and unlock these doors, or I'm, a, I'm gonna I'm gonna pop these locks. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, it's just that, it's just that simple. And we gave He was like, give me give me a certain amount of time because obviously he's dealing with things too. Yeah, right. He is, yeah, not a perfect set of circumstances for anybody. Yeah. Right. He's like, look, don't don't do that. Give me a chance to get down there. And we was like, okay, we'll we'll give you a certain amount of time, but after that, <laughs> I can't just sit here and, and watch this happening. He came down, he opened it up, he allowed us entry into it, and we just kind of took it from there,
0: yeah. right? You yeah. know, because
1: I know there's a lot. Everybody has different things. Everybody has a particular skill set. Right? Yeah. Mine is organization. Yeah. So my 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 thing is, look, I I know if I, if I can get in here, I can get access to the refrigeration. We had like a hundred gallons of milk that had it to be refrigerated immediately, right? Yeah. We had a lot of different food and I had a lot of people calling me saying that they had food willing to contribute. Yeah. So I asked the cafeteria workers, if I can get you access to this kitchen and let you be, a, a, you know, give you the ability to cook meals for people, would you be willing to cook? And they were like, absolutely. You mm-hmm. know? And yes. so every day, every day we would make sure they had, you know, we, we got bacon to people. Some people hadn't had bacon in four or five days and, in the south, that's you know, that's a big deal, right? Like that, your life, your life can change. It
2: hinges on the your bacon, life man. Changed.
0: Yes,
1: yes, man. You know, and it's a level of you know, and and a lot of this stuff is comfort food, yeah. right? And you yeah. don't really understand the context and the concept of what comfort food is until you find yourself in a very uncomfortable situation. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so Derek, I was proud to come down there and help you guys, you know, support the effort that you guys were making, you know, because there was a lot of things that you had hindrance with, you know, a lot of public vehicles got flooded in, you know, so you had a lot of different things uh, on a government level that you were dealing with and, you know, not something that you can really prepare for, right? This is a once in a hundred year type of of situation, right? And, you know, we look at it now with COVID, look at COVID today. There's a lot of things that, people simply hadn't taken it into consideration. There was no, um, there was no point of reference for this, right? right. Like it, this had never happened before. So they can't say, Oh, we'll just do for this. What we did for that. Cause there was never that, yeah. you know? And you know, so we just, you know, we felt compelled yeah. as human beings, right? We, there was a level of compassion that would not allow us to sit back and not help people. And I, I think you know, I think Trey, Trey and DJ Mr. Rogers immensely. Also Slim Thug and his Boss Life uh, crew, they came down, they cooked barbecue for us one day. You know, everybody that was in a position to help us, UFC fighter, uh, uh, Derek Lewis, the Beast, you know what I'm saying? He came out. Um, King Karan, uh, who's a local comedian. Uh, Mo Bang, who was a graphic designer. We just had this very motley crew of individuals. <laughs> Right, who just who just did not want to sit back and watch what was happening yeah. happen without them doing anything they could possibly do to help. And I mean, I think we did a really good job, man, for that community. And keep in mind, we're doing this in Houston and small towns around Houston as well, right? So, yeah. I mean, we we stretched ourselves as thin as we could possibly stretch ourselves, but we felt compelled to do it, man. And I look back. I wouldn't have done anything different. I wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't have changed anything. I think. I think we were out there doing God's work. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, like I said, I look back at that. I still have pictures and stuff of the, the communities that we went in and the conditions these people were living under. And uh, I mean, like you know, me for me, obviously, my heart was for Port Arthur, and there were people there helping us, and they were like, "Yo, you think you got anything left over for Beaumont?" Yeah. And I'm like, "Wait, Beaumont's bad too." And they're like, "Man, Beaumont is probably worse." In Port
0: Arthur.
1: Yeah. And then so, you know, so we got out there and we and you know, it was always about clergy, right? Yeah. All of these different communities, you know, clergy and the the local pastors and the local churches, they're the ones on the front lines for these communities every day anyway. Yeah. Right. So we just would go out to different pastors and different clergy members and be like, Hey, we're in your city, we have resources, what do people need? Where should we go? Right? And they would just point us like every time just, hey man, you need to go by these apartments. Need to go by these projects, right? You need to go by right? yeah. this old folks home, you know all of these different places. Yeah, and we did everything we could. And there were certain days like we would go somewhere with five hundred meals, right? Like hot food for people, and give them out five hundred meals, and then people would be coming from the back, and like, and the management would tell you, like, yeah, man, we got we got four hundred families here, and there's like an average of four people in every family, so. We wow. really need sixteen hundred meals. Yeah. You know, wow. so as much as you could do, sometimes you were barely making a dent, and you would feel fucked up. Excuse my language, you would feel messed up about that, right? Because yeah. we wanted to help everybody, so every day we would increase the allotment of resources we brought, and it seemed like it was never enough. And then one day, it kind of caught up, right? The, yeah. the effort from the Red Cross and the, and National Guard and all these different other sets of resources finally started to pull down to the people in these communities. And we were like, okay, I think they got it from here. But then you get to Houston and there's like little Cambodia, little Salvador, right? Little Philippines, all of these little small pockets of people that you never hear about communities. You've never seen. I drive past these places all the time. And if you would ever just take an exit off that freeway and go right for about a half mile and turn left, you would see this entire complex of, with 2000 people of it that had nothing. Wow. I mean, nothing. People wow. were sleeping in their driveways. There was there was a neighborhood we went to that was right on the backside of a, a, of a river where literally you had to get on your roof or die. Wow. Like they, there was no middle ground for these people. They didn't, they, they couldn't leave. Right. They didn't have the resources to leave and pack up. Most of them didn't have cars and you, they literally had to get on the roof or die. Wow. And so, and then again, and then we're going, even with Trey, right? Trey's house was flooded out. So Trey the Truth is spending every day going out, helping people, bringing people what they need. And then at the end of the day, he can't even go home. Wow. Because his house is flooded, you know? And he's like, man, I can't do nothing about my condition right now, you know? So let me just help these people. And like going out and doing that work was really just a way for him Keeping his mind off of his own personal situation, and that's why I love that brother so much because I don't think people realize how much he puts the people, you know, over his own personal needs. And sometimes that's just who you have to be and what you have to do to make things work in this world, you know. So, but I mean, you know, we we did what we had to do. D, we all did.
2: Yeah, brother, that's you. You definitely did what you had to do, man. And, and, And again, I've said thank you enough, but I'm gonna say it one more time for. Thank you. You know, again for, for the effort for not sitting on the sidelines, man, and jumping in there and getting involved. So and then another And it thing. wasn't just
1: me, you know, there were a lot of not to cut you yeah. off, but like all of the athletes, the Babino brothers, yeah. Jackson, Kendrick Perkins, you know what I'm saying, all of the brothers that play basketball are professional sports. We were all on the group chain and they'd be like, B, you active, what do you need? You know, and I would tell them, you know, we could use this, this and that, and they never ever hesitated you know Danny and all those guys man I mean everybody gave us whatever it was that we needed to because they were stuck in their city they couldn't they couldn't get down there if they wanted to right at the time they couldn't they couldn't make that move if they wanted to but but they knew I was acting I let everybody know look I'm I'm there I'm coming there and even with Perk you know Perk is like man look I know I'm not for TA, but if there's a certain way you can help, you know, like my grandmother block is kinda of messed up. I'm like, man, we just here to help the people. Yeah. Like this ain't you know, we're not you know, and you know you know like I got growing up and and you know, we were younger, there was a little bit of a contentious relationship <laughs> between Beaumont and Port Arthur. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We didn't we didn't always see eye to eye. And that's probably the nicest way I could say it. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. But when things like that happen when things like that happen, man, we're all just human. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's, that's... You know, we help white people, we help Latino people, Asian people, gay people. You know, you go in different communities, and you knew these white people weren't necessarily crazy about people that didn't look like them, right? Oh but, yeah. But this was no time.
2: No, at you, all. you
1: know, this was no time to to de- to deal with that. Yeah, and there are people that you know I know for a fact I would never have come into contact with these people under any of the circumstances, but. It, it was what it was. We did what we had to do to help people. It's not. I'm trying to tell this. I, I mean, it, it wasn't the time to hold grudges or feel a certain way. And be like, y'all, y'all racist white people. We not going to help you. all No, nah, it's about people, you know, we're doing yeah. God's work and God doesn't see color. So we just doing what it was. We felt we needed to do.
2: Well, amen about that. Pastor bun. <laughs> Man, that's a, that's, that's my motto: to, to be a blessing or to get a blessing. You got to be a blessing. That's it. Period. And you just throughout this whole podcast, man, you just talked about how 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 to be a blessing to somebody else. And it seems like the the undertone is that's how you've been getting rained down with all your blessings. So, man, keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate you. Before we get out of here, tell folks if there's anything that we missed. What can they expect from you? What you got coming up? What's going on?
1: I'm working on a couple of different music projects right now. And we're still trying to figure out how to release this stuff. It's a real it's a real different time um for the music industry and entertainment in general. You know, we're not really afforded the um the outlets and the marketing and promotional strategies that we would normally do. Um not to mention the opportunity to actually get in front of people and perform, which or you know, for musicians is their primary source of income. Right? So no matter how much money people make releasing music and selling music, whatever, they always make, you know, four or five times more mu- money um, by touring and performing and selling merchandise and stuff. And so there's a lot of people in the entertainment industry that are, are hurting right now. But most people don't, there's really no sympathy, right? Especially like, I'm I'm a rapper. And when you think about rappers right now, pretty much the, the majority of the images you see is, you know, dudes holding up a, a bunch of money to their ear like it's a phone. It, they see the jewelry and the cars, and the extravagant lifestyle. And so people don't really feel sorry for them. People feel, you know, people feel sorry for the average working class people and rightfully so, you know, I could totally understand that. But there's also a lot of different musicians who, you know, they play lounges and they play bars or, you know, they're just the back end musicians, right? Everybody's not the leader of a band and everybody's not, uh, you know, the rapper with the money and the jewelry and all of that stuff. There's a lot of people, in the industry that are really hurting right now, you know, so it's a very difficult time. So there's a couple of different, um, initiatives, you know, I'm, I'm the vice president of the Grammy association for the Texas chapter. And so we've been talking to different politicians about different bills that would help supplement income for some of these people. And and also, you know, when these PPPs first went out, right. Um, a lot of black companies were denied. So we've been asking, um different politicians different state reps and different senators to try to allocate money specifically for black owned businesses and black communities communities of color uh in america so you know we've been trying to fight that fight and you know i I, like i said i have a lot of music that i'm sitting on and we've been trying to decide whether or not you know we should drop music and try to think of alternative ways to help the music impact and, and resonate with people um, but until then, I'm just gonna keep recording. You know, we're we're looking to do something. We're considering dropping some music around Bumbee Day in Houston, which is August 30th. And you know, but you know, I, I have you know different people on my team who are going through different things right now. And I just I just don't know if it's if it's the right time to even worry about that kind of stuff, right? Like, cause I feel like if you make good music, you don't have to drop it on a certain day. Like right? I thought it would have been cool because every every year on Bumbee Day, we we try to put. You know, events together. We get back to the community. Um, last year, we decided to release some music, and you know, but but things have changed drastically in in a year, right? And so, we're just trying to feel our way through this, Darren. You know, that's that's the reality, man. Like, you know, I'm just trying to feel my way feel my way through this. And every time I start thinking about, you know, selfish things, and you know, for myself, I look at the world we live in and realize there's a lot of different people out here that that need help, right? And maybe maybe that's not the thing to concentrate on right now you know so i'm just really taking it day by day i'm trying to stay active and productive and doing what i do because eventually all this music will come out and i'll be able to to, to present it in the best way possible but um, until then man i'm just praying for us all and you know working with my church and working with different organizations again like Relief gang and you know different different um departments with the city you know what i'm saying to affect change in different places and, you know, I just, I'm just like everybody else, man. Waiting to see how long this whole thing is gonna last. <laughs> trying
0: to,
1: trying, trying to stay positive and trying to stay focused, and most importantly, trying to stay safe. You know, yeah. I'm wearing my mask, social distancing, yeah, and just trying to be smart about everything right now.
2: Man, you you did it all. You know, from the pandemic, I'm gonna bring the mics out there to Houston. We're gonna do it with some better quality, and we have some things that we touched on just from this podcast that we need to elaborate on but I I, I wanted to introduce our listeners I don't really have to introduce them to you but just some personal, the personal Bun B on the podcast man, thank you so much for being gracious enough to come and do this keep talking, we need your voice brother, we really need your voice so keep doing what you're doing, we love you and looking forward to the next podcast man, thank you for coming on No
1: problem man, thank you Man, keep up the good work man you know what I'm saying, I have to say my younger cousin, man, I'm, I'm very proud of the man you've grown into, the way you, um, you know moved around in this world, the way you carry yourself and present yourself to the world, man. And Hey, man, you make me, Freeman Family, proud, bro.
2: Thank you, brother. I appreciate you, man. We're going to talk soon, all right?
1: Thank you, man. Thank you, D. All
2: right, brother. Tell Queenie hello for me.
1: Will do. All right, now. You're listening to Free World with
0: Derek Freeman.